conversation is the most valuable tool at the disposal of homo sapiens. Do you agree with that statement? Yes, I do. I think there's a lot of science and there's a lot of historical evidence to support the claim that conversation really is the foundation of human growth, not only technologically, but societally. And you could even argue metaphysically, mentally. So um, there's a lot of examples, but basically, yeah, I, I would say that claim is pretty, pretty broad and pretty strong, but I would say it's correct, though. Throughout history, people obviously used conversation to pass down knowledge to their kin. Uh, they developed a traditional form of wisdom, this, this knowledge and experience you get throughout your life. And then, of course, you, you teach those younger than you to develop this wisdom, right? You converse with others to learn from different tribes, to develop trading routes, all of these, these things. And those sound very foreign to us today. But it strikes me that this conversation is no less important today, if not more important, because today we have polarization, but this polarization isn't inherent. Rather, it's a development because of our increased accessibility to information and our seeming inability, at least on the fringes, to empathize with one another. Uh, for example, when you meet someone and they disagree with you vehemently, I can almost guarantee they are disagreeing with you out of good intentions. No one is trying to be a contrarian out of poor will, at least generally speaking. But people are really doing what they think is best for those around them, whether it's a certain religious practice or it's a certain political identity or a group norm. They really just want to do what's best for the world. And everyone has different values, whether they're economic or spiritual or otherwise. But as soon as you fail to understand that everyone's trying to do their best and you find that conversation is now foreign because it makes you uncomfortable, we have a serious problem at hand that I think we are in right now and it's only going to get worse. So let me touch base on a couple of things you said there. First, I'll agree with your, your last statement that it's going to get worse if we don't do anything about it now. Um, and there's a whole slew of reasons for that. But another thing I want to point out first is that I feel like a popularized, maybe not even popularized, but a term that's been thrown around that kind of refers to this, this way of thinking that everyone does things out of you know, the, best, the best will within them is moral subjectivity, right? That everyone has a different guiding, uh, guiding principles of morality and that we're all on a quest to fulfill those requirements to the best of our abilities, you know? And I, I know there will be a lot of people that will say, well, that's, isn't that crooked, right? Because you could argue the same thing about um, Nazis in Hitler's Germany in the 40s and 30s. But uh, what, what you did bring up as well, and I think this is the thing that differentiates what we're talking about from... Uh, us just saying that, oh, we should be okay with moral subjectivities, that there should be a discussion that comes along with that, right? Sure, you can be 
you, you can know someone that thinks it's morally okay to do something that might hurt someone, but, you know, they have a different perspective. As long as there's dialogue between two, the two parties. So that way there can become a better understanding of, okay, so this might actually hurt that other person, even though I think it's morally correct, right? So I think there needs to be more of that because, yeah, I do think there's plenty of misunderstandings. Um, we kind of, I don't know if we said this on an episode, but we said it definitely on our own time outside of the podcast, that if we had a chance to speak to someone like Adolf Hitler, we would definitely take the chance. Um, it's a fantastic opportunity to see into the head of someone that that is historically seen as completely psychopathic and, and completely malicious. Um, and I'm not here to advocate uh, the the Holocaust or the killing of millions of people that um, that were just as good as you and I. But I am here to say that if we can take it to such an extreme bringing it closer to home will be an extremely easy feat. You know, getting to understand everyday people would be, I, I'm sure, easier in comparison to um, someone like Adolf Hitler. So I think there needs to be a strong move towards people opening up to each other and being you know, okay with this discomfort that you mentioned, because it definitely is present when someone disagrees with you. You know, you're like, oh, do you not like me? But um, most of the time, that's not necessarily the case. And, and if it is, it's because of a misunderstanding. Um, did I miss anything there? Did I uh, tackle what, where you're hitting at? That conversation is so vital. Looking yeah. at Hitler, for example, there are probably people listening to us right now saying, that's unacceptable. We can't be having a conversation with, with the murderer that is Adolf Hitler. But think about this. If the Jews were given access, if they were given a platform to converse, it makes you wonder what would have happened. Maybe nothing would have changed. Maybe Hitler's influence over Germany was too, too great. But it does make you wonder that if everyone truly did have the ability to speak and had the ability to be heard and everyone was willing to at least listen, I can't imagine the general public would be convinced that killing Jews is the best option. Uh, there, there's these arguments that you'll hear online uh, for people saying that the Nazi soldiers were about as bad as they come, the worst people you can think of, millions of terrible humans. And yes, the deeds were clearly horrible. No one's arguing against that. But could you have done any different? If you were, let's say, uh, not a Jewish person, let's say a Catholic, Lutheran, um, in Nazi Germany, and you're being uh, recruited to the Third Reich or Army, uh, then what are your options here? There is no open dialogue. There is no town hall meeting where the Jews have their chance to speak. The Catholics have their chance to speak. And then Hitler sits in the middle and processes things and seen, sees what strikes him as the most moral. That doesn't really happen, right? Now, unless I just don't know my history well. So back to your point of a conversation you and I have had off the air. I would love to have anyone on this podcast 
to speak with us or, or speak with us outside of the podcast because you can never, you can never reach resolution. The good ideas can never float to the surface and the bad ones can never be criticized if you don't know what the bad ideas are and you don't know what the good ideas are. If you can't hear them, there's no way to support them and there's no way to denigrate them. I I agree tenfold. There there's there's a real problem today where I feel like I feel like it's been painted at least the the dialogue and I'll only talk about America, the the United States because the, it's the only country I'm really in the loop about when it comes to public discourse is that it seems there there's only two sides to a story and that's the you know the black and the white, the right and the wrong. And I feel like oftentimes um, the answer is found somewhere in the middle when both sides talk it out and reach uh, some form of middle ground. Um, you know, to, to, to use the term of uh, Jubilee's popular uh, video series on YouTube where, you know, it takes two people from opposing viewpoints and basically has them butt heads. That's a more aggressive, you know, uh, phraseology but you know they they have some pretty interesting discourse to try and find understanding between each other and what's curious to me colton is i i think there's a lot of science to substantiate where this fear comes from right this fear of being wrong i think there's a lot of biological implications in in human social strata where we want to be accepted and we want to be high on the ladder so people look up to us. Um, but consequently, we're scared to be wrong or look weak in that effect. So I, I'm, no, I'm no expert when it comes to analyzing uh, human psychology and especially human social interactions. But I, I feel like the right answer lies in kind of defeating that knee-jerk response when someone disagrees with you um, or dislikes something that you like. Um, and I'll, I'll try to share something here. Maybe it'll help, or maybe it'll make me look pretentious. I hope, hopefully not, but doing it more often makes it much easier to get used to. It, it sounds redundant because it's a very simplistic um, approach to the problem a problem that seems so so complex and so wicked but really if you continue to just absorb people's information when they're trying to disagree with you um it becomes easier to notice when those thoughts start appearing in your head that they're telling you to be angry and to not let those take control of the situation it's kind of like a um almost a cognitive feet so to say but you know if there was something i were to urge to the public it'd be to practice that because that is the only way i think we could really move forward with something closer to the right answer looking at recent history the civil rights movement right um and i bring that up because race is an extremely relevant issue in the united states right now it's extremely touchy, and I feel like as soon as someone brings it up, the whole room, no matter what type of environment you're in, the whole room can go quiet with awkwardness. 
and it really shouldn't, you know? I feel like we should be able to make jokes about this stuff. We should be able to be lighthearted about these things because when we're not so attached to them emotionally and we're not so instantaneous to 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 get inflamed, um, then I think we can look at it with more levity. I, I, I think that's what's required. This leads to a deeper point that that you seem to be hinting at. Self-awareness is hard. Introspection is hard. But it's almost a requisite to change your understanding, to uh, think beyond the knee-jerk reaction, as you said. Because whenever you are responding in the moment, if you are going through the day-by-day not aware of how you act, which, again, is not easy to, to be aware of how you act. But if you are just living your life as a seemingly deterministic robot, something happens, you respond as you are inclined to because your emotional reaction, then you have no ability to change your mind. Only through conscious effort and proactivity can you change your viewpoint. Can you actually empathize with someone? Otherwise, all that's going to happen is you're going to hear a certain buzzword or phrase that someone says and you're going to attach onto that because it combats your uh, social identity or your preconceived notions and then you won't be able to actually analyze the rest of what they're saying their argument or at least their statement so this self-awareness is absolutely vital yes yeah it and uh I guess I'll make this clear now. It sounds like this podcast isn't going to be, this particular episode isn't going to be one where we disagree a lot. But this sounds like one where I feel like many viewers might disagree with us. Uh, because listening to someone who, who has an opinion that's outrageous um, kind of sounds counterintuitive. Um, but that's a tangent, a tangential discussion there. Let's Let's talk about more. Uh, regarding this consciousness and this self-awareness you brought up, there are plenty of people I've, I've watched and, and read things from. Um, Dr. K from Healthy Gamers GG. I'm not going to pronounce his name because I don't want to butcher it, but any of you who know him already know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, Sam Harris is another person who, who has practiced these things of uh, like meditation and building uh, consciousness, conscious skills. So that way you can um, manipulate your brain. And I'm not going to even say brain because we don't really know the source of consciousness per se. But more so the the faculties that control uh, how you react to these thoughts that come up in your mind. Because we really don't control when or what type of thoughts come up. And Dr. K and Sam Harris are both extremely qualified individuals. Um, And so I think it's safe to say that relying on two very smart individuals, and and there's even whole teams of people and scientists and researchers that that have backed these findings, these findings, excuse me. um, It it really makes sense to make this a skill that all people should practice. You know, this checking yourself, this making sure you're in control of your emotions. It sounds almost spiritual. It sounds almost, you know, like I'm preaching something here that's that's of a higher power or 
completely unrelated to science fact or anything relevant today, um, especially if you're someone that's more uh, uh, more grounded in on like the statistics and the facts and stuff. But again, I say this this stuff is founded on science, and I think if if more people came equipped with these skills into conversations, this would lend itself to more productive discussion, like like me and Colton have have been talking about. Yeah, it's it's important on two levels. Uh, it, it's almost a two step process towards nuance. You, you could think of it as so. Step one, you have to be able to analyze your own understanding of the world, a meta-analysis of yourself. And that sounds really fancy, but all that's doing is in the moment you hear something, you process why you reacted to it. If maybe you got emotional or you got um, irritated, and then you have a conversation and you listen. It's a two-step process to this nuance. Otherwise, you will be stuck in a world of black and white. Maybe that makes you comfortable, but I'm sure most people would agree being comfortable isn't all that matters in life. If half the U.S. is comfortable, that the other half is enslaved, well, you have a major problem. And everyone agrees to that. I don't know anyone who would disagree to that. So it it is an invaluable skill that uh, you and I are both lucky to have recently developed to a certain extent. Because once you understand this, and it sounds a lot like prophetic teaching of, of enlightenment, So I don't like to use this language, but it's true. Once you can understand why you react to things in a certain way, why it is that when I say Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders, some select few of you listening got some kind of emotional reaction just now, and you have some kind of preconceived notions about those two people, one probably makes you more angry than the other. If you can understand why that is, you have so much more control over the choices you have in your life. You have so much more ability to truly make decisions of your own free will and your own critical thinking and your own logic and not simply because you have an emotional reaction that seems real enough, but in reality is not as real as you might think it is insofar as your willpower is concerned. So let me bring up another interesting topic here um, that's been floating around the, uh, I'm not sure quite quite how to phrase it, but it's been floating around media, and particularly um, gaming uh, social spheres. So a popular streaming platform, Twitch, um, twitch.tv, which is basically a website where uh, particularly gamers and people who are streaming more entertainment-related streams go uh, as kind of a central hub for their community and for hosting their streams. Uh, They've changed their terms of service recently. Um, And they've also changed uh, community guidelines. And part of their community guidelines that has changed has been the banning of certain key words that were often used to refer to people. Um, I'm not even say mostly, but only sometimes in a negative connotation, right? 
So censorship and I, I guess I'll just leave it at censorship, censorship for now on expressive websites is particularly interesting to me because the, a lot of these websites, a lot of these organizations, Twitch, YouTube, for example, um, were kind of founded on this idea of spreading ideas and spreading creativity in the world, right? Um, but they're now kind of locking down on uh, hateful... Uh, I, I want to be careful with my wording here because uh, I don't want to include certain categories of, of, of words and people that aren't affected by this. But I guess hateful might be the most general and kind of subjective, but the best thing that there is to describe what they're targeting, right? You can't call someone names in the comment section, uh, particularly racial slurs. Racial slurs will be the, your quickest way out of any community access in YouTube. Um, and now Twitch. Um, and I find that particularly interesting that racial slurs have this extra weight to them. Um, and I think there's a whole slew of reasons behind that. But on Twitch, let me get back on target here. On Twitch, they banned, I, I believe the word simp. Um, and for those of you who are unaware, <laughs> yeah, Colin's smiling right now because his word is, it has some, it has some history behind it. <laughs> but simp refers to someone who is basically donating money to a female streamer that they want to support. And I want to give some clarity here because simp is typically used in reference to someone who's seen as less, right? You call someone a simp if they're like throwing all of their money at this one woman they, they like streaming. Um, and, and the whole, you know, joke, and I'm, I'll use air quotes, the whole joke behind it is that, you know, the girl's never going to notice them because they're one of thousands of simps that give them money, right? Um, uh, I'm not going to speak on behalf of people who think they're simps, but I think the idea here is that they think that they might one day be with that girl or be noticed by that girl or build a more intimate relationship with that person, right? Um, and it, I don't think it's necessarily exclusive to that male-female interaction that I stated. Uh, I'm sure there's uh, male... Uh, streamers that you could simp for, but uh, that word was banned, I believe. You know, if you call someone a simp or you 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 start using that term a lot, I think your account can get uh, either banned or you'll get you'll get called on or suspended or something. I don't I don't know the exact consequences, but that's one such example um, of more censorship happening on on pretty popular. Uh, entertainment websites and, and community hubs. There's a number of issues at play here, and we can touch on some of them, such as the fact that these are businesses, they're not government entities. But I'll push that aside for now because I think there's an even deeper core issue at stake here. And it's this distinction that I will clarify, just in case anyone's confused on, on our um, perspective here. There's a difference between supporting something and allowing something. These ideals of free speech we talk about are allowing speech because of the possible pitfalls 
of saying certain things can't be said. Hitler could say certain things can't be said, and we can't disagree because he's in power. Obviously a problem, right? So there needs to be some kind of relatively objective or at least thoughtful subjective way to enforce this uh, or to rather uh, fail to enforce this intentionally and thus allowing any kind of speech. But that doesn't mean you're supporting something. Uh, So it doesn't mean if I walked up to someone who was black and called them the N-word, not because they're a homie of mine and we're close and all of these things, but because I'm just racist. I don't support that. I never will. But at the same time, you have to draw a line uh, where speech that is only speech, that's not denigrating your higher education experience, it's not harming your ability to get a job. If it's only speech, you must not be able to enforce a reduction of this speech because it's so dangerous, a slippery slope. And it sounds painful to hear, and I know people listening are going to disagree with that. But I challenge you to really think that through, because as soon as you invoke the idea that we can legislate speech on something like offense, then you are now legislating something in the eye of the beholder. You are legislating offense, but anyone could be offended about anything. And if the majority is now offended that I said the word magenta for God knows why. Well, that's now offensive and I can't say it anymore, right? And that's obviously the N-word and magenta are not even close to the same thing. Obviously, one is much more contrived than the other. But it's important to realize that if you accept this, then Hitler, again, to, to continue this point because it hits home with a lot of people, Hitler could then say, I'm in power. The majority seems to support me, at least on the surface. Therefore, you can't say these certain words. Well, that's a problem, and we all accept that. So, do you disagree? Do you think I'm on any um, wrong line of thinking here in making this distinction between supporting a certain kind of speech, saying, I like this, I think you should call people racial slurs, and simply allowing that because of the danger of a slippery slope? Let me walk through this step by step. I'm sure I'm certain at the end I'm going to end up agreeing with you because I think the premise is is I see eye to eye with the premise. Um, so this is going to be very interesting because anyone who disagrees with us is going to disagree with both of us at the same time. But um, I think it's incredibly dangerous. But let me let me flip this on its head real quick. You think I, what is incredibly dangerous? I, I think I think censorship is incredibly dangerous, regardless of what it's trying to censor, right? So these community hubs, YouTube, Twitch, uh, Twitter, whatever else you use, I think the motivation behind the censorship is trying to pursue this idea that they've created of a safe and friendly community, right? I don't think anyone thinks of a group of people calling each other racial slurs and saying they should go jump off a bridge as a friendly community. And so in lieu of those goals, I think censoring those words makes perfect sense. Contrary to that, though, that removes any any semblance of, of, of freedom on that platform, in my opinion. 
I don't think there's a place in this world I can go without finding someone that would disagree with me or even call me names. And that's okay. Um, to tie this back to the first section of our podcast, um, I don't, uh, and, and usually I do actually, but I don't let that knee-jerk reaction of being insulted and being angry control my actions. Um, or at least I don't try to. Maybe it'll happen sometimes, you know. Uh, it, it happens to all of us. We're all human, you know. You get stuck in traffic and it really pisses you off and um, someone doesn't know how to drive in front of you and, you know, all, all sorts of things can just get you going. But it's all about controlling that. And I think when we talk about censorship and the lack thereof, uh, that skill is particularly useful. But I, yeah, I think it's, I think it can be very dangerous because how do you define a safe community? I know I talked not too long ago about, oh yeah, obviously it sounds nice when everyone's being nice to each other and saying, praising, praising each other all the time. Um, but I would even argue, this might be a stretch of an argument, but I could even argue that wouldn't even be a safe community. Let's say someone's doing something terribly wrong. Or you know, maybe not on a moral sense, but just on a technical level. Let's say they're trying to put together an IKEA chair and they're doing it completely wrong. If all people are doing are praising them because hate speech isn't allowed, they're never going to get it right, right? Or you can't call someone names. That's a very, very narrow-minded uh, train of thought. But I think it's interesting to explore that, just like the rest of them. Um, so, do I think it's and, and let me clarify this too, Colton. Do I think it's bad when people call other people racial slurs? Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. But this is where the distinction you just got done setting up comes into play. I don't think that's okay, but it's going to happen. And I'm not here to stop every instance of that happening. Um, if that happens to you, and I, I, you have my condolences if it does, and not just you, Colin, but any of our viewership, you know, that's horrible. Um, but we have to think about, in my opinion, the circumstances where that presents a threat to your livelihood and your chances of success. If Joe Schmo on Discord, um, or Joe Schmo on Twitter calls me a whole bunch of names, right? But he's some random guy. Okay, well, I don't care. I'll move up about my day. Maybe like 10 of his friends do it, right? But we have to be intelligent as, as a group of people to analyze when that line is crossed. If the whole country is doing it, okay, maybe there's something wrong. If popular figureheads are doing it, that's also dangerous, right? And, and that's why I think celebrities, streamers, singers, writers, anyone, celebrities have a lot of power in this world. I think what they say is very dangerous because many people will follow in their footsteps regardless of thinking critically um which is again why we talked about having this level of self-awareness we all need to have it otherwise um miley cyrus could say something completely insensitive to a group of people and we'll think it's okay and we'll go along with it right this is why that line of what's allowed not even what's good but just what's allowed cannot be drawn within the parameters merely of offense and i emphasize this point because as you said and as i mentioned earlier if your day-to-day -day life if your 
again, ability to have a higher education, your career, if all of these things are being damaged, that is unacceptable. And that is absolutely enforceable. I certainly agree to that. If a politician is spreading views that are leading to violence against a group of people, that needs to be at least looked into. And there is a higher standard for those in influence because they have large followings. I'll see that point as well. But at the same time, if we try to draw this line within merely the bounds of which speech is better, and we want to get rid of the speech that one majority during this time in history thinks is worse, you have the danger of failing to differentiate between hate speech and constructive criticism. Because as soon as you do this uh, seemingly benevolent endeavor of legislating hate speech, which again, I I think most endeavors into legislation are goodwilled. I wholeheartedly believe that. But as soon as you do that, you don't have the ability to then decide when that can stop. You You cannot, as far as I can tell from any arguments I've heard, you have no way to stop. So if I constructively criticize someone, uh, say I'm in a management position at, at my job and someone is doing a job poorly and I'm criticizing them, I'm saying, hey, you should be, you know, you should be doing it like this and you need to be correcting yourself. And then they get offended and say it's hate speech because of their perception of me as someone in power. Well, that's dangerous if that is a truly damaging offense in the legal system that I accidentally offended them and intent is not taken into account. Um, and that really leads me to another another point that I don't think gets talked about enough is intention. Do you think, Kaylin, that there is a difference to be had between someone who intentionally, let's go extreme, someone who intentionally kills their neighbor and someone who accidentally runs over their neighbor because they were in a phone call or they were distracted by uh, some, something at their front door, let's say. Do you think there's a difference there? Because I have a, a pretty strong opinion on this, but I'm curious if you think the same way I do. I would I would hope any sane human watching our, our this episode would say there is a difference because there totally is. Killing someone on purpose means that Right, this is, this is going to sound redundant at first, but it's it's to help explore what doing something on purpose means, right? Killing someone on purpose means you wanted something to result from their death, right? And if you're going to kill someone, that's usually because you want something good to happen. Humans, uh, everything, most things on this planet don't do things so that way they're worse off, Right? No one's going to act upon something to be worse off in the end. 99.9% um, .9 of the time, you're going to go into a situation and perform actions that produce the outcome that you, that you desire. That you perceive as better off. Exactly. Killing someone intentionally means that that person, somewhere along, along their decision-making process, decided that, to take this life means that I'm better off, right? And so there's a whole train of thought that comes into intentionally killing someone that never passes the mind of someone who unintentionally kills someone. The person on their phone was probably just trying to get home, 
you know, the kids crying, throwing up, um, their housemate called them, or they're late for work, and their end game wasn't trying to hurt someone. It's trying to be to work on time so that way they don't get penalized for being late, right? Uh, in, that, in such an example. And so let's take these two people. You have someone who has deliberately killed someone and has thought of what they get out of it for doing so, and a person who never thought ever in their life about killing anyone. And, you know, you could take morality to the extremes here, but I'm going to argue that the person who, who was driving to work and was really speeding was just um, irresponsible at worst. You know, whereas the person who intentionally kills is um, is honestly sane at worst. Hopefully, that's not a sane person. Uh, and I'd argue there's no sane person that would that would do you know something that laid out, that methodical when it comes to killing someone, unless you're like in the military, right? But that's a whole different train of thought, in my opinion. Um, that gets drilled into you through through years of training, through uh, learning, and quite often out of necessity you don't usually people it's not a necessity to kill people in today's society and that's the other reason why you know that that this methodical murderer is probably not as good as a person as the person who accidentally did it you know i suspect there are people listening to this who are saying wait a minute but you're missing the obvious here two people just died in either scenario, a person died. In either scenario, that person, let's say, had a family. The family is equally upset. The family is equally annoyed. The impact on the community is probably pretty similar. Well, here's my response to that. Even if you take this utilitarianistically, let's look at the long-term implications of this. Because, yes, in the short term, it looks to be equally troubling. The difference is a negligent driver who in some sense was unlucky because let's say they were texting on their way home and they just so happened to be going through an intersection when a neighbor was going through the intersection walking. Yes, that's horrible. And obviously it's negligent and there is some fault to be had because of their negligence. But what's the chance that they're going to do it again? There's a distinction here because Someone who seeks to murder someone else is likely to do it again. It's somewhere in their psychology, whether you call it a mental illness or not, I would argue it is. They have an inclination to take another human's life. Whereas someone who is just a piss poor driver does not have that inclination. So they are, in effect, not a harm to society as a murderer would be. Because someone who texts and drive, well, I know a lot of people who text and drive. And some of them are lucky and don't go through intersections on accident when their neighbors are out walking. And sometimes they're not as lucky, I'm sure. So there has to be a distinction here. I I can't think of a reason how these two things could be conflated in any way. Right. And, and let me even add on to your point. The person who was negligent in their actions has a learning opportunity because the outcome of that event was not in their favor. Whereas the person who murdered had an outcome in their favor and is, and although they're penalized, they're still 
more of an inclination to do it again because they had that inclination in the first place, right? Like I said, I, I don't think any human does things so that way they get worse off in life. And so these murderers, the penalty is to teach, right? In essence, the penalty is to teach that you shouldn't do this, don't do this anymore. Um, but the difference is that in, in people who methodically carry out murders and homicides is that they had an inclination to do it, whereas accidental manslaughter or, or, um, or anything of that nature, there was not a smithereen of inclination to harm anyone. Right. And so the learning, I, I, I think the side that did it by accident can learn a lot quicker than the side that has to teach themselves that they don't want that thing. You know, it's, it's, I think it's a much harder uh, mental faculty to convince yourself you don't want to kill someone rather than convincing yourself that, um, and maybe I put this poorly, but convincing yourself not to do something to harm someone, you know, and I'm comparing the brains of probably a mentally ill person. And this is a bold claim, but you'd, you'd have to convince me that anyone in a civil society that has no reason to kill anyone, but still does, isn't mentally ill. Um, and I can include depression as part of that. You know, someone murders your whole family and you want revenge. Maybe you were sane before that, but you're probably having mental issues now. So uh, I would argue that. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I think intention tells a thousand tales about uh, who that person is. And we've been talking all this time about kind of crazy scenarios, but this really applies to all of today's social spheres, all of today's dialogue. So many people say so many things lightheartedly or let things slip. I've seen so many, so many streamers, you know, slip phrases or slip something. And they get bashed for it. And I, I, I would hope there's someone out there who can explain to me why, you know, uh, especially slips. I feel like when you accidentally say something, it is probably the least harmful thing ever. Because it, in essence, that's exactly what happened. You accidentally said it. I don't think it says anything about what you think about a particular people. Um, especially when those words are often conflated with... Um, what are they called? Words you use when you like stub your toe or, or like something happens and you just exclamatory. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, I think those are the least harmful words. You know, there's no construction or no deconstruction of any opinion to be had there. There's no argument in those words. So they're in essence meaningless. Um, so I think, I think we should be paying more attention to intention. Uh, ultimately I agree. Yeah. And I wouldn't necessarily argue we should go vindicating everyone who did not have the intent to harm, let's say. Because, again, someone still did die. There is still something to be learned here in the case of running over your neighbor. Uh, someone arguably should be made an example of because then we can learn from those who fail. We can learn to not text and drive as one example. So I, I wouldn't say we should simply vindicate them completely because then there is no responsibility to be had and there are probably few cases where there is absolutely no responsibility maybe in the cases you mentioned of accidental slip-ups of curse words or something 
those may have very few direct um, implications in the world, direct uh, negative outcomes. But something like hitting your neighbor, well, no, your neighbor is now in the ICU or they passed away or whatnot. That's a problem. And someone has to uh, has to at least have some form of repentance or uh, be set as an example to promote anti-texting campaigns, whatever. You could do anything you wanted to off of that. But I, I wouldn't go as far as to say there should be no blame for someone who does something that has a direct negative outcome in the world, even if they did not have the intention of producing this outcome. I would only claim that the punishment when it's equal to the crime actually means something different because the crime was not the same. One crime is intentional murder. One crime is accidental murder. Those are actually different crimes, I would argue. And as a result should be combated differently, but should still be combated to a certain level. I agree. Yeah. And they're, they're called accidents, you know, like a car accident or, uh, anything of that nature. Um, but you still learn from accidents. You still have to learn from accidents. Um, otherwise, they continue to happen. So I agree. I think there should, should still be some form of, uh, of checks that are in place um, to ensure that people learn the lessons that they need to learn. Um, in my opinion, it's, it's quite, it'd be quite taxing to know that you're responsible for someone's death. That would... <laughs> That'd be quite the learning lesson uh, if you were me. But um, not all people are me, and not all people uh, are like me. So I think a universal, some, you know, a way to to teach people these things is obviously still required, and, and that's what we have. You know, we already have that to some extent. So let's tie this back to conversation specifically, uh, because I. Um, as you do, obviously value conversation, clearly. And something I really find amazing, a relatively new form of media, is podcasts, clearly. Um, We are making a podcast, we're having these conversations, we find them to be important. But even then, I don't think they get enough credit. Look at someone like Joe Rogan, who... At the time of uploading this podcast, we'll have left YouTube for Spotify exclusively about a month ago. That shook the YouTube space, that community. And economically, sure, it opened gaps for people to fill, like uh, Lex Friedman, kind of the upper echelon version of Joe Rogan, or Sam Harris, or uh, on a more comedic side, maybe... H3H3, things like that. There are lots of economic gaps to be filled. But it also brings to light how much people are starting to value these conversations. Uh, I have optimism. Because people were were upset whenever he left. Because Spotify, for example, doesn't have a comment system. You can't interact. You don't have the ability to criticize the bad ideas and promote the good ones, which is why I love this podcast. On YouTube, at least as it stands today, You can listen to people who you may vehemently disagree with. You may think they are terrible people or you may think they are wonderful people. And then you can like or dislike a video and you can leave comments. Comments can get responded to. They can get upvotes. 
and the collective agreement of what's okay and what's not can come to the forefront. But whenever you move to a platform like Spotify, for example, not to call out Joe Rogan as doing anything he, he was not within his means to do. Obviously, it's a great business deal. But I would argue you lose a portion of the benefit that you would otherwise have from a podcast, a long-form conversation. Because even some podcasts are interviews, but at a certain point, they simply become conversation. Uh, the value of why Joe Rogan was so great is he would have people smoke weed and drink whiskey on the podcast. And although having Elon Musk on and getting 30 million views might drop the Tesla stock 9%, it also lets us see who Elon Musk really is as a human, as a creative, as a visionary, whatever you want to call him. And it allows us to criticize the true ideas, the people who are really... Uh, the beliefs of these people that are really being expressed, not simply their three-minute soundbite on Fox News or MSNBC. It lets you see the real ideas as they really are to be expressed. Uh, so I am at least hopeful that podcasts are a wonderful avenue for continuing to pursue this form of conversation because people can listen um, while they're doing other things. They could just watch it and spend the time, you know, a couple hours focusing on it. And they can, re they can react themselves. They can respond. They can have conversations with their family. They can go back and rewind. That strikes me as absolutely invaluable. Half of the joy I derive from doing this podcast with you, the other half being obviously hearing your take on things and talking about things that no one else, you know, maybe my very close family. I would talk to me about, right? I'm not going to go talk to my homies, you know, that, that I play video games with about this stuff at all. Um, you know, the conversation will die three lines of conversation in because they're not interested or we've come at an impasse or something, right? It never carries beyond that initial intrigue. But if you can humor these ideas, right, then I think you can actually get something out of them. And where I was going with that train of thought is that the other half of pleasure I get from this is the idea that one day a lot of people, uh, maybe not even a lot, you know, just even a few people would listen to this and all of us could learn something from each other, right? Because I think, I, I think uh, something I get from this personally is getting closer to that, to a goal I have of better understanding myself as a human and hundreds of other people, if not thousands of other people, and you, Colton. So I think it's a vitally important tool because it allows us to, to, to find what we really mean when we say things and what other people really mean when they say things because we're giving the conversation a chance, right? Most conversations that hold merit don't only last two minutes, right? They're not a 30-second reel or highlight. It's a 50 minute long conversation where you're going back and forth and you're spouting things at each other. And whether you agree or not doesn't matter because at the end of the day, um, you're gonna have learned more about a different perspective. And if it wasn't a different perspective, maybe you got closer to a, the truth. You never know. Um, and so yeah, I, 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 think, I think dialogue is, has to be on the forefront of human 
importance in coming years because it is going to be what drives the change and what drives the happiness, in my opinion, ultimately the happiness of the human race and our success as a species. And the most important thing in my eyes is that these conversations allow us to change our minds. That's an important point because I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who are saying similar things to us. We need to have free speech. We need to have conversation. Those people surely exist. But we have to be not just empathizing, but not simply invoking cognitive dissonance. Because once you can enter a conversation that you know is not a two-minute interview, you know it's not simply sound bites, you know that someone is truly going to listen to what you have to say, and they're going to give you counterpoints, and you all can bash it out until a, a new and improved thing has, has been created, you can now change your mind. You have the ability to say, wow, I learned something from someone who knows more about physics than me or knows more about philosophy or just has a different perspective because we were raised differently. That is immensely important. And as soon as you're willing to change your mind, not simply listen, but actually take in someone's information and let it shape your own perspective and do that perpetually throughout your entire life, the best opinions, the best truths will come to the forefront. I am wholeheartedly confident about that. I have no doubt that if we are willing to listen to one another and battle what they say and understand their logic and present our counter arguments and do everything we can to find the best answers, the best answers will likely be found.